We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Alan Seslowski from Rotowire.com. On this episode of the Rotowire Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast, we talk to John Laub. John is one of the best, if not the best, rookie and Debbie evaluators in the fantasy space. His attention to detail and ability to translate film study metrics to actionable fantasy intel is one of the most useful skills in the modern-day fantasy football game. On this episode, John helps identify bust potential in some of the rookies we are all optimistic about in 2022. At the end of this podcast, we are treated to a useful top-line Debbie breakdown for some of the highly touted 2023 class as well. John is one of my favorite followers on social media. All of his content and links are in the description below. I forgot to even say this before we went on, but whenever I meet someone that has as much passion and it like it pours off them as much as you do about football, I always the one thing I do wonder is what were your earliest exposures to football and how you got so into it. I mean, were you the guy in middle school running the NCAA pool? Like, what was your early exposures that just made you fall in love with with football and then eventually fantasy football? Curious. So my first year I fell in love with the NFL was 1977. So I must have been in sixth grade at the time. And my dad and I started to watch the games, the four o'clock games. We probably watched the Jets or the Giants. We were local. Remember in the old days, you only had yeah, CBS, NBC. So, and then the black, four black o'clock, and white TV, black and yeah, white TV. Oh, yeah. I had black and white TV, my friend. <laughs> and then the four o'clock game in general was the national game, Cowboys, Raiders, you know, if there was, you know, two the Steelers playing the Oilers sometimes. So you would get those big games, and usually that was Sunday. So my dad and I would be watching game and eating dinner. You know, that would be our Sunday time together. And what really – so I started watching, and that was the year of the Orange Crush. And mm. I thought it was so cool, the name. Like when you're a little kid, you know, you're in sixth grade. I just fell in love with the orange crush and my mom found me a six pack of orange crush soda. Right. And they were back then, you know, they were on time magazine cover sports illustrated. I mean, the, 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 the news cycle was so different than it is today. If you didn't live through it, it's hard to even describe. So when time magazine had a football team on the cover, that was just unbelievable. Right. And then I remember, 
it was the Super Bowl. We used to do current events in sixth grade. Remember current and events? That was a funny that we everyone did. The, I mean, we grew up in the Northeast. Current events was like a thing. You you clip the you I mean, do you clip the magazine or the yes. newspaper and you brought it on a piece of loose leaf, right? And you, you yes. taped it on there. Okay, so same thing. Same yes. Thing. <laughs> so that week, um, it was the Broncos Cowboys Super Bowl, and I got sports. I was lucky, just random. Like you wonder how life works, strange, right? So mm-hmm. I think it was Miss Guadita was my sixth grade teacher. She threw <laughs> up there. She threw up, John, you have sports. So, of course, I put the Super Bowl up. And then she wanted to do a poll in class. So, everyone, who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl, right? I was the only one who rooted for the Broncos. Everyone wanted the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, I lost. So, I had a, you know, but that's – and then it just became a such a passion – to look forward to those Sundays, you know, hanging with my dad or just being alone watching football. And back in the day, we only had three games a week. You'd have one on Sunday at one, one at four, and then you would have Monday night football. And I couldn't even stay up the whole night because I was too young. So you watch like maybe the first half if you got lucky. Um, so the game was so different, but that's where the passion is. And back then the passion came from print media, pro football weekly. Pro Football Digest, you know, Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated, wherever you could get print media, I would devour it because I love to read, but obviously sports was my passion. So I would just read everything I could. And I'm sure you said you were in the Northeast. I'm Connecticut. The local newspapers here were just Jets and Giants. Mm. Even the Patriots weren't covered in the 1970s. I mean, people... In New England, the Patriots blackout times. If you didn't sell out the stadium, you wouldn't have the game on TV. Patriots weren't selling out in 1978-79. So you couldn't even see the Patriots some weekend. So it was all Jets and Giants. And the only way I could get coverage from other teams was through the national media, the print media. Yeah, there's nothing like the back of the New York newspapers as far as like <laughs> headlines at New York Post. I mean, uh, people. Now, ahead, if John. you're from the tri-state area, the Post and the News were priceless for your headlines in the 70s. Even today, they're good, but I don't read them like I used to. The world yeah. is so different. But there was nothing better than that Giants flop. You know, Jets drop another one. Like, it was just so classic. So what, how did it tra- uh, transform into fantasy football? And then eventually, I mean, you know, for those who, who don't know John Laub, I mean, it, I think that you have one of the uh, most interesting um, ways that you think about Dynasty, Devi, uh, and everyone's going to get a chance to experience that as well. And I've put all your links in the video description, the podcast below. I, I believe that people that listen to this that are introduced to you for the first time, first of all, where you've been, second of all, uh, they're going to become instant fans. So that passion for football, I mean, that that's great, a connection to family. So when does that transform into fantasy football? Great story. I just graduated college in 1989. And From where? My friend, Where'd you go to school? My, I'm, yeah, oh, college, yeah um, Western Connecticut State University. I actually have the T-shirt on today, <laughs> um, ironically, right? Um, so my friend and I were living together, and we got a job at Norwalk Parks and Rec. And we're basically working with children from age 6 to 14. 
So we drove together. It was a long day, like eight in the morning to three in the afternoon. And in the day, there was no air conditioning. We were literally in an open baseball field for, you know, seven hours a day almost with kids. I like, I think I might die if I had to do that now in my 50s. But we were out there all day long, 95 degree heat, right? We'd have to have water breaks with the kids. Like, it was so crazy. But on the ride home, we were both football fans. And we saw it like a local Barnes. It wasn't even Barnes Noble. Might remember in the old days they had those small local bookstores, right? Local, local, yeah, like a, a mom and pop bookshop. Like the same yeah. time, yeah, they used to have mom and pop video stores, mom and pop bookshops. Doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't exist. So we saw a Cliff Carpentier fantasy football digest book on the bookshelf, and I said, Tim, why don't we buy the book and see if we can play this game? So what we did for about a week is we drove in together and whoever wasn't driving would read the book and we talk about forming a league. Literally, Alan, in 1989, in the fall of 89, was our first draft with eight of us. We were all in college together at Western. And there might have been one Eight-man league? Wait, wait. Action. You just say an eight-man league? Eight-person yes. league? <laughs> yes, eight-man league and standard scoring. And we thought we were so far because we added yardage. Like at the time, <laughs> right? We added one point for every 10 yards receiving. And we actually didn't do decimals, Alan. We rounded up. So if you got oh. 56 yards, it was six points. If you got mm. 55 yards, it was five points. So I remember you, uh... like – John, do you remember leagues that, like, unless you got 50 yards, it was zero points? Like, that's how, like, the original. Yes, the original leagues. Yes, I remember. <laughs> and I might have been in that book or magazines. Right, right. And, you know, Alan, I wonder this. I won the league the first year. And I Ooh. wonder to this day, if I had not won the, because I was commissioner, so I'm doing all that work, right, by hand, calculator. I was handing out papers. <laughs> my friends would come to my apartment they wanted to see the results, the printout. And I wonder to this day, if I didn't win, would I be this obsessed? That's the thing that always, like, I won, and I, I just became completely, completely obsessed. And then, Alan, in 1993, I still can't believe it seems like another lifetime ago, there used to be a company called Sports Challenge, and they used to do, like, Wall Street games and investment games, but they also got into fancy sports. And it was in the USA Today with salary cap. I beat mm -hmm. 15,000 people and won $10,000 in 1993. All by hand, Alan. Like that, literally. In, in 1993, $10,000. I mean, that's like 50K oh. today, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and my friend, you know what the biggest mistake you want? I, I don't tell this story, but I'm going to tell it to you. My best friend, Dave, he came up to me, goes, what are you going to do with the money? I said, you know, I'm probably going to save it. I want to pay off a few bills, right? We had credit cards from college, a little bit of debt. He said, John, you should take 2000 and buy Microsoft. And to this day, there's nothing I regret. I'm like, oh, uh, my God, I didn't take Dave's advice because I don't even know what 2000 in 1994 money if I just, let's say somehow I could actually have kept it all these years, life, you know, life changes and you have to do other things. But I wonder, and I'm even afraid to look.
Like, how much would that yeah. dude bring in for 93? And I vividly remember we were eating lunch and he told me to do that and I didn't do it. I mean, you know, for every one of those, and, and I understand and appreciate that. And for every one of those ideas, someone has given you a hundred cockamamie bad oh, ideas. Yeah. Too. <laughs> and uh, so uh, many uh, bad ones. <laughs> yeah. In a similar, in a similar story, in the very short version is somebody told me to buy Apple at like 200. I, not only did I say no, I called them an idiot. So, you know, uh, you know, that, that is a, <laughs> along lines of your story. Uh, all right. So here's my, uh, What's your breakup of leagues by now? So now that, you know, we, we understand the background, where you came from, uh, how many dynasty leagues are you in right now? And how many typical redraft leagues do you do, including all the industry stuff and everything? How many leagues do you have to manage in a given year? Just say this year coming up. So right now I have four dynasty leagues. I've cut back. I mean, two of them folded. So I haven't replaced them because I would probably want to do a redraft dynasty. But Alan, I enjoy, I've learned that I've enjoyed it better with limited leagues in Dynasty. One year, I think I had eight. And you know, Alan, I couldn't even search the waiver wire in Dynasty yeah. every week. It became such, I rather enjoy, I enjoyed six. I won two, you know, finishing also in two others. I think I finished in the bottom three. So it's not like you always, I want to be honest, right? I have a mm -hmm. wide variety. But I said, you know, let me keep it at four. If a fifth one came up, maybe I would do it. I would think about it. Redraft, I'm probably going to end up with 14 to 16. I've decided to keep it at 15. One year, Alan, I did 25. And you know what? That Tuesday night waiver wire with the family, my lovely wife, with, you know, teaching full time, it became like a chore. Like it literally like, you know, and I said, you can't, at least for me, with my busy life and the way my life is, I can't do 25. So I keep it to 14 to 16. And that's somewhat reasonable because I also now have some on Wednesday night waivers. So mm -hmm. I kind of like it better where you have two, like maybe I have seven teams on Tuesday, eight teams on Wednesday, because then at least I can break up that waiver wire madness. Yeah. Um, the people that are regular listeners to this podcast know I have a sickness. So I admire when somebody like you comes in there and comes in here and, and tells like, Hey, I'm enjoying it more now with a little bit less. Like I'm one of those, tw you know, just like our common friend, uh, Nelson, I'm one of those guys that has 28 dynasty leagues. I know that's like peanuts Whoa. compared to, to Nelson, but you know, it also, these leagues are like 30 person bench. There's not a lot of waivers that go on in those things, but still, you still have to go through it. It's a pain in the neck. So I do the best I can to consolidate them on sleeper. And the reason I asked you for that is that I always, um, I mean, there's nothing more fun than rookie draft season, right? I mean, we, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, when, when they start and they're all flying at you and we all are optimistic and I've heard you make a lot of great cases for, uh, you know, all these rookies and, and talk about their warts, talk about their upside. But today what I want to do is I want to put, you know, a little bit of sobriety, what we should actually expect. So when I call, when I say, hey, five rookies that will bust, I want to talk about a couple players where what's more than likely the realistic outcome. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll get into them. And we just get so spoiled. We see Jamar Chase. We see Jalen Waddell. Uh, I mean, these guys that just from day one are taking the league by by storm. So I want to do a little bit of the opposite. And then we'll get into a couple different things. But before that, I just want to ask you, what's in a startup situation, a dynasty startup, what's your general philosophy? Let's let's call it a super flex, PPR, you know, no tight end premium. But what is going to be your general philosophy and strategy in a startup draft? 
first get a franchise quarterback who's under 25. I do not want to be trapped in a dynasty draft where I have to draft that quarterback. And we know the NFL has about a 50% hit rate historically in the first round. They're not, they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination either. So I've got to go and chase that one starting quarterback. That is going to hurt me year after year. And then what if, Alan, I look for the guy and he's not – what if I took Tua over Herbert, right? Oof. Not only did it's I happened. ruin that, right? Oh, my God, it happened everywhere. Yeah. And not only did I win my – dynasty team by taking Tua but then I gotta compound the mistake because then maybe next year I went after Justin Fields right and then (laughs) and we just saw a complete disaster what if I was crossing my fingers for Malik Willis Mm. and he ends up as a third round draft pick right so those to me I get that court and let's say 26 I shouldn't say 25 let's say 26 if I can get that starter, I'm golden. Now, then what I'm going to do later around five, depending on how cool, you got to watch the board because I'm a big believer your competition is going to dictate the value of that super flex position. I'm going to watch the quarterbacks. So, Alan, you mentioned on all four of my teams, I have Kirk Cousins. All four mm. of them. He is the absolute perfect super flex quarterback. I just throw him in there week after week. Yeah, I know he's a little volatile, but at the end of the year, the numbers are there. So once I get to rounds four or five, I am seeking that how many quarterbacks are on the board. Can I get a quarterback between the age of 27 and 30 who I believe is undervalued. So I actually have Derek Carr on a bunch of teams. I'm not in love with Derek Carr, but when he's your third quarterback on a super flex, I got no problem with the Derek Carr. I don't want him as my, now this year we could argue if he's your number one, but man, the value of a player like three years ago, Derek Carr was priceless. He never gets injured. Yeah, I understand there's volatility, and you might have to play him the week where he has the stinker. I get it. But when I'm looking at my super flex roster, that position, I don't want to chase. So in a rookie draft, for example, you know, you talk about these 50% hit rates, and but you also have to juxtapose that with first-round draft pedigree. I think Kenny Pickett is a very interesting – draft pick in rookie drafts so let's say you're in trouble at quarterback let's say you didn't you know adhere to that philosophy because i've been in super flex leagues where you spend your whole life chasing a quarterback and and nobody's trading you a quarterback i mean try trading for qb right try trading for qb 15 you're gonna have to give your firstborn and then you know you're you're kind of stuck you end up paying like um 2.1 for carson wentz if you're lucky you know i mean that's kind of what how it goes down so how do you value someone like that? Because early in the draft season, I had said to you know people that asked me, I think it's okay to take Kenny Pickett at 1.2. Now, I have backed off that stance a little bit. So a, a player that's not top 10 draft pedigree, I mean, Kenny Pickett is probably guaranteed two years worth of starts if he's bad. 
So is he someone that we should be pushing up in a rookie draft? So I have Kenny Pickett right now valued as a second round pick. In a super So flex. it's a real, yes. It's a, a second real round conundrum because if you have to have Kenny Pickett, it probably says you're drafting at the bottom of the first round. So what has happened is you're taking a quarterback that might not even get on the field because we do have Mitch Trubisky right now. And Mitch Trubisky, for all of his challenges, he probably is better suited right now to be successful as a starter in Pittsburgh. If they're winning football games, we know coaches are conservative. Are you really going to take Mitch Trubisky off the field if you're four and two? And we know Tomlin has never ended up below 500, correct? So, you know, you have to project him, I think, at eight and snow. What would nine and eight at minimum? I mean, it just, you could say he wins seven, but you know, you're going against a long track record of success. I was not the biggest Kenny Pickett fan coming. I did like him. He catapulted up my rankings. I personally do not overreact to the quarterback. I think, Alan, I'm going to cross my fingers. He lasts to me in the second round. Or maybe I take, let's say I have the number three pick. I need the quarterback. I take my number, my top receiver. Let's say it's Drake London. And if I have to trade up to the back end of the first round, maybe I have to trade my second and third. Maybe I have to do something a little radical, trade second and third in depth on my on my wide receivers, right? Then I'm going to trade up for Kenny Pickett. But I cannot take Kenny Pickett in the top six. you Because then you're compounding the what if he doesn't hit? Then, Alan, we're doing the exact same thing next year. And I just can't continue to churn at that level. So I guess organically, we kind of arrived at our first rookie bust potential. <laughs> we kind of without even thinking. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you're taking him at pick two, pick three, you'd say that there's elevated bust bust risk there. Then is that fair to say? Oh, with to me, it's like I would weigh bust more likely than success because we want the quarterbacks on the field immediately, right? I'm assuming if you draft a super flex quarterback, you're expecting the young man to play for you, at least in your super flex, immediately. And look at last year, Alan. Every, not everyone. The vast majority of the dynasty industry passed on Mac Jones. What an incredible irony that the quarterback that everyone passed on was the most successful rookie in the Superflex draft. Now, I had gone on endless Dynasty preview shows last year, and I said, draft Mac Jones. He's the best value at the quarterback position. I said it countless, and people laughed, thought I was crazy. I'm like, it's, and I, I like Mac Jones, but I said the value was screaming to me that Matt Jones in the second round was better deal than Justin Fields in the first. And, yeah. and I know, Alan, I, I'm not saying anything I, you can, anyone can check me out. I have Jalen Hurts on three of my four dynasty teams. Yeah. 
Alan, I have a team with Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, and Kirk Cousins because I drafted Kyler Murray. I had two picks one year in a dynasty. So I got Kyler Murray at 112, and I got um, Jalen Hurts the next year in round three. I was just sitting there, and I'm like, I cannot. I have to punish my fellow dynasty owners when they've let Jalen Hurts fall for three rounds. Yeah, it seems like there's always a quarterback, yes. even in Superflex, that falls to round two that, you know, that has viability. I mean, last year it was Davis Mills. You know, I would argue that Davis yeah, Mills was, was, was I, for, I forgot about Davis Mills. He was what a fifth round pick in Dynasty. Yep. In single QB for sure. In in Superflex, probably fell to that two yep. late two, early third. You know, I mean, still a quarterback. And the, oh, the yeah. best part, the best part about Superflex Dynasty is the players are keep getting sharper and sharper. So it is, uh, yes, you know, they are. yeah, you know, they, there's no, I mean, you, you always have your office leagues with Bob and accounting, but for the most part, <laughs> if, you, if you're, if you're doing Dynasty in February through, you know, April and March and May and all that, you know, all those you're, you're dealing with pretty deep, even the, the median is a pretty sharp drafter. So just stick, sticking with, um, rookie drafts for this year, I, where are you on the number two pick? I don't think anyone's going to argue that Brees Hall should uh, and is the first pick off the board, but there's this Kenny Walker versus Drake London, and maybe you don't have either of them, but there's merit. I could see the you know the upside of both, and I can certainly you know try buying a twenty year old or try drafting or trading for a twenty year old running back in Dynasty. Good luck, it ain't happening. <laughs> so that's the case for Kenny Walker, but certainly the wide receiver one in dynasty is always an appealing pick. I'm, I'm going to ignore context. Cause I do think your roster construction would matter. So it, but if I'm looking at all things equal, I'm going Kenny Walker, the running Good. back, the, the cunning, the running back position is so valuable. And I'm a Kenny Walker guy. I did have Brees Hall above him, but it was close. And you know, now that, Will Carroll be there in two years? That's an interesting question. So you have to factor in the possibility of a coaching change. But then I would argue, will Atlanta have a new quarterback next year? You know, so there are factors on both sides of the equation here. But in a vacuum, without context, going any longer, he has special traits. He, ha- he can be a three-down back, goal line back. And I know we don't have a lot of pass catching on film. But I think he had 15 receptions last year, some mi- minuscule number if my memory serves me. Allen, he has the ability to catch passes. Have we seen it? No, but we didn't see it with Jonathan, Walk- with Jonathan Taylor. I will say this as I've done more and more studying, and for nine years now I put it on football diehards. As I've done more studying, I'm a little more, less reliant on number of catches. I've got to watch the quality of the reception. Now, if a guy has 70 catches, well, I know he's a good pass catcher, or at least they used him. But what I see with, with Kenny Walker, is he catching the ball in stride? Is he catching it with his hands? And how quickly does he convert from a pass catcher to a running back in the open field. And those are somewhat subjective, and I'll admit that. It's easy to look at Rashad White and say, oh, he had 78 receptions. That's an easy, that's a factual thing, right? 
it is harder to look at Kenny Walker and say, okay, what type of throw was this? What was the quality of the throw? And how did he react in real time to the reception? I see a player who can catch the football. When I broke down Kenny Walker in the small sample, I can see that. Yeah, I'm with you on Kenny Walker. And I, I, and I also see the side for taking the wide receiver one at pick oh. two, but it's, but I, I have, I've been, I've had that number two pick in like four yeah. leagues. And it, to me, I just didn't even hesitate, especially since I do like some of the wide receivers in round two. But as we know, those guys are always dicey himself. And I'm here with John Laub. Uh, John, just tell them real quick. You're on Twitter. It's at Gridiron Scholar. It's on the screen. It's in the video description. You can see that. And if you love fantasy sports like we do, and you love Dynasty, and you're ready for a new challenge this year, Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with actual real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have a complete control of your team's future. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up at dynastyowner.com. Use promo code ROTO5. That's R-O-T-O-5 and receive five bucks off a new team. I started playing around over there this year. It is really cool. I mean, it doesn't take more time. It just takes more strategy. So I, I definitely recommend a lot of people go over to Dynasty Owner and check them out. We are here talking about rookie bus. And when we say bus, it just means sober expectations. I, I don't want to, you know, we use the word uh, bust or must drafts. I mean, you know, we're all in that SEO game. We need to, uh, you know, figure out ways to get attention on our podcast. So I am guilty of that. Someone that's really troubling to me, and I either want you to confirm what I'm thinking here with Garrett Wilson or not, or I'm worried about him on the Jets. Maybe it's some Jets bias we talked about a little bit earlier. You know, I grew up a Jets fan, and but I just wasn't impressed at all. And I'm not that optimistic about Zach Wilson. And given that Elijah Moore is the preferred target, we've already seen him produce. Maybe it wasn't with Zach Wilson. And I still like Corey Davis. So is Garrett Wilson set up the flop this year? And what's his long-term outlook? Alan, that's a great question because I've struggled with that all season. I love Garrett Wilson on tape at Ohio State. He was my number one wide receiver. Mm. What I saw on tape, and some of it's schematic because Ohio State does so well at scheming the receivers open. So there's always that factor. But Brian Hartline is such a good coach. And if, you, if anyone doesn't know, Brian Hartline is the wide receivers coach for the Buckeyes. Unbelievable. Arguably the best wide receiver coach in college football. And, and by the way, a fantasy darling of like, hey, waiver wire, pick him up in real football. I mean, I I, I forgot that Hartline was the wide receiver coach until you said it. Uh, it was yes. one of those things. So I'm glad you explained it. But man, was he even just overachieved based on his athletic ability in the real NFL? Yeah. And what's most impressive, he's able to translate what he learned to teaching skills. Coaching is ultimately teaching. Just instead of teaching history, He's teaching route running. So I understand that. He was so good. Alan, he was the best, what I've said, he was the best deep separator that I've seen in my mm. nine years. And what I mean by that, 20 yards down the field, you will see Garrett Wilson five yards beyond defensive backs. I have, mm. It was just silly. His ability to get open deep. I have not seen that. Like, he was so good second level with the subtle head fake, the hip and the feet. 
Now, since he's gotten on the Jets, I've got to, what I saw at Ohio State doesn't matter now. Yes, some of it will, I shouldn't say that. Some of it won't matter. I am also worried. Elijah Moore, I had graded higher than Garrett Wilson. And I I just told you, I loved Wilson. But Elijah Moore, I think, is ultimately better. But I think Elijah Moore is a little bit limited to the to the Z and the slot. He can play on the X. But I think Garrett Wilson is more of your classic X receiver. The only advantage is Zach Wilson will take deep shots, Alan. But they're going to run the football. The best way to protect that defense is to keep the defense on the sideline. I think by almost every metric, the Jets' defense was absolutely awful last year. If I'm the head coach, um, Sala, Robert Sala. And by the way, the Jets' defense is the only defense on the waiver wire in our 14-team Sirius XM Dynasty League. (laughs) Oh, my God, you're so right. He's the only. I remember I have the Dolphins and the Texans who I'm not in love with. No. And the only one I looked, I'm like, I can't draft the Jets. You're I'd rather right, have like Anthony Schwartz or with some flyer at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. You were right. So I said to myself, I've got to run. If I'm Robert Sala, I've got to run the football. I've got to control the clock for 32 minutes a game. Let Zach Wilson be highly efficient with his deep shots. Here's the, he has the two perfect receivers for high efficiency deep throws. Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore are great second level separators. They can get when Zach Wilson is buying time scrambling and he's very good at that. And he can throw the football to any spot on the field at any time. They're going to take some wide open deep shots. The problem is I don't see Garrett Wilson getting 60 receptions immediately. I think he's a 45 reception guy for like 700 yards with maybe four or five touchdowns. Elijah Moore is more likely to end up with 80 receptions and 120 targets in my perspective of how I look at the Jets. And – Reese Hall's going to get some receptions, and they've upgraded the tight end position. C.J. Uzama, Tyler Coughlin. Do you know I looked? I think Tyler Coughlin led or was second in snaps at the tight end. Like, his numbers were silly. Like, he's a very good player. Everyone's talking about C.J. Uzama, who I like also. But I think Tyler Coughlin might be a better down-to-down tight end. So, yes, I think the targets are not there. Yeah, Tyler Conklin, uh, you know, I know Irv Smith got hurt, but when Tyler Conklin was on Minnesota, yeah. he he made that a 50-50, uh, you know, d- divide between their targets and their playing time too. So Conklin is a, fi- a ceiling, you know, he's a real NFL player. He's proved that yeah. he's at least he's at least the 18th best tight end in the league, and I'm just making that number up anecdotally, you know? I mean, he's up there. Yeah, yeah. He, he's not a nobody. He's going to have a long career. All right, so if we if we agree that Hall and Walker should be the one-two – uh, in, in rookie drafts, and we both agree that uh, – do we think that Drake London, just on principle and draft pedigree, should be the three? Are we in agreement there? Uh, I right now, yes. The position that he's in, uh, even though he wasn't my number one, he, he's in the position for the 
most targets as a rookie, and at least for the next two years. I don't like Allen anymore to go three years mm-hmm. out. At least if I said who's going to have the most targets over the next two years, yeah, I would say Drake London is most likely to be that player. All right, so I'm in a rookie draft now, actually, and if I was <laughs> picking fourth, like I would just take Chris Olave there. I think that that's fair. And again, it just oh, you don't have yeah. to win. You don't have to win your league with every pick. You could you could hit a you could hit a double, and that's great in dynasty, right? So, are you with me here that, or do you have someone different that you would take at the fourth pick once those three are off the board? So Olave's risen the most throughout this process. Because I think he's going to be in a much better situation to succeed now with the way the team is coordinated. I actually think Michael Thomas helps a lot. Yeah. Michael Thomas has got to be the player in which the defense is going to concern themselves about on a regular basis. Well, what does that mean? Olave's the guy who's going to see the benefit of one-on-one, most likely, the second cornerback of the defense. And we know Jameis Winston is going to take his shots, good or bad. Jameis Winston's going to throw the ball like crazy, you know? So I do like Olave. I think I have him right now. Let me check. I think I have him four or five. It's very close between Traylon Burks and Olave. That's my next lead into your question. It's like, um, you know, we're talking about guys that could disappoint. If I was going to form a bust list, I don't, it's, you know, it's kind of a layup to say that Traylon Burks is boomer bust, but he really is. I mean, you could, you could easily be convinced for the case for Traylon Burks and you could easily be convinced of why he's going to be Nikhil Harry. I mean, my feeling is that if you thought that, uh, that Burks was going to be a bust in the beginning, Everything that's happened so far is like, yeah, told you so. But if you were anchored to him and his college production and his dominance, you're like, listen, all this other stuff doesn't matter. So you have him fifth. I mean, that's probably or fourth or fifth. That's probably where I would take him too. But talk about the potential for the downside case and what could happen with Traylon Burks if he had, and what does a bust mean? Is a bust doesn't have to be full on Nikhil Harrier or Kevin White. What could a bust look like? What how does he fail expectations? So the only question to me with Traylon Burks is, can he be as efficient with a low target number as A.J. Brown? What A.J. Brown did so good compared to any other player? How efficient has A.J. Brown been since he entered this league? He has been simply unbelievable. I don't know if Traylon Burks could do that. If he can do that, then we are talking about gold because that entire offense is dependent on the ability to make big plays based off of play action on Derrick Henry. Yes. And A.J. Brown on those deep crossing patterns, one-on-one, was so spectacular at getting down the field. I don't know if Traylon Burks can do that immediately. I've seen it on film at Arkansas. I was a Traylon Burks guy. Still am. Yes, I saw the clips of him. I'm not too worried about what rookie practice meant. 
He prob, you know, he, he probably wasn't ready for the sun, the heat, whatever it was. Okay, it's over right now. Can the young man with 90 targets, what is he going to do with them? In the long run, I think he's going to be a great player. If that system, and I happen to believe that the Titans know what they're doing. Vrabel is a good coach. If if Vrabel is there at least for the next two to three years, and they keep that system in place, and we can, you know, how good will they be without Derrick Henry two or three years from now? That's going to matter. I understand that. But if they keep that system and Traylon Burks can be efficient. Allen, he's not A.J. Brown. And I had A.J. Brown with a higher grade than Traylon Burks coming out. But he's not that far below. And if the young man can take the opportunity, he will be very good. I have So I have no problem with Olave or Burks. I think if I had a bet, like if I had 10 league, Olave, six of them, Burks, four of them if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that just breaks up your percentage chance of success. You're not, you split 60, 40 on it. I mean, that's really what that means. And it's, it's interesting. What I think with Traylon Burke, someone who did show his dominance at, at, at college and has his, you know, athletic profile and his alpha size, What's good is we'll probably get a, a, an early reveal. Like what you see in the first yeah. six or eight games is probably what it's going to be. I mean, yes, of course, these guys do get better, but it's not like a player where he just totally fails in year one. People will be like out on him. I think, you know, we're going to, and it's going to be because it's such a polarizing player. I just can't wait to observe the, uh, the Twitter wars. I'll have my popcorn ready because he is, you know, I, there's, I've never seen someone so, de- uh, a, uh, social media is so divided on a prospect. I mean, maybe there's one in recent history. Um, all right, so moving moving on down through the rookies here, we're talking about bust potential, top five uh, rookies that may bust. Um, you know, James Cook started off, I, I remember in February, I called him a sucker's pick in the first round. Now I wish I never said that because I'm thinking <laughs> him <wrong. laughs> Because, you know, it's sometimes we just speak before we know, right? But it just, it, I digest it a little bit now. A pass catching running back on a good offense. You know, it's been well documented that the Bills wanted JD McKissick. Uh, they couldn't get him, so they get the best pass catching running back, arguably. You know, I don't know. Rashad White still is probably a pretty damn good pass catching running back. So De- Devin Singletary, sure, he was dominant, but I don't know anybody that for the last few years, like, oh, yeah, Devin Singletary is a bell cow. So I just think of this myself. If Devin Singletary was out for the year today, where would James Cook go in redraft? Probably what the two, three turn? Never, not later than the middle of the third round, right? So oh, he has up- he would definitely be off the board in the third round. And if you like him, it'd definitely be at that turn. Yes. He would sky I mean, he would completely skyrocket up draft boards because I don't imagine Zach Moss taking touches away from James Cook. If Singletary's out of the picture. So give me the downside here. Like is, is James cook a good pick at pick seven, pick eight in your dynasty league? I mean, where do you have him ranked and what's his bus potential? He does have bus potential because we have not seen the workhorse back. I believe it. I'm a believer. And I think the statistics, if you look around, I have not done it, but if you've proven to be a bell cow in college, then you're more likely to be a bell cow at the NFL level. 
Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor. We've seen so many of these players who got astronomical workloads. Now, we don't want Ron Bain for four years, right, playing at Wisconsin where he had the extra 250 carries or even 300 carries. If we see the workload for two or three seasons at the college level, we know that that is going to translate very well to the NFL level. So my concern is we never saw it with James Cook. Now, part of it is the Georgia system. They are no longer, you know, you and I grew up, I'm assuming you're closer to me than you are in your, your, your early 20s. I'm, four, I'm 46 years old. Okay, I'm 56 yesterday or Wednesday. Wait, you look like you're 36. It's not fair, man. It's not fair. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. But yeah, so I'm an old man. <laughs> so we used to see Georgia dominate the backfield with one stud. But with Kirby over the last three years, they are spreading that load a lot more equal amongst the Bulldogs' backfield. Now, part of it is philosophy, right? Kirby obviously isn't comfortable giving that 300 carry, 250 to 300 carry load to guy. However, is it also because none of his backs, are they true workhorse running backs? Remember Nick Chubb, freshman year? I think he had like 1,600 yards for Georgia. Now he ended up getting hurt, I think, his sophomore year or somewhere early in the season. Why is that happening? That's a whole different story. A couple reasons, I think. But at the end of the day, I've not seen James Cook do it. I think he's a dynamic 55-snap starter in the NFL. I would love, you know, I don't think he's a 70 snap. I don't even know if we have 70 snaps, you know, it's the so bills. rare. The bills, maybe, you never know. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have Derrick Henry, right? Jonathan Taylor. If he could get on the field a 55% snap share with his ability to catch the ball, you would have a very productive PPR running back. But that is something that we don't, we have not seen. So that's my concern. I haven't seen it. Do I think he has the skill set? I do. I do believe that. But I, until I've seen it, I always have in the back of my mind, I'm not entirely sure. So where would you be comfortable? Let's say, you're, say your team is pretty balanced. Where would you want to take him in a, rookie, a typical 12-team rookie draft? So, yeah. Ele- a perfect value, 11 and 12. Okay, would, so you you were the league to... champion. You were in the finals. Yes. You're pretty balanced. Hey, I'm going to take him before I take some of the. So uh, just and just a lightning round question before we just do sure. a quick break here. Where is Jahan Dotson in your rankings? Uh, first round wide receiver, uh, first round pedigree wide receivers. Would you take him ahead of James Cook, or is the running back value on the good team? So I know that's like you know everyone's oh, making that decision, point. but that's a real decision people have to make. That's a great question. All things equal, I'd probably take Jahan Dotson. I'm a big Jahan Dotson guy. I think he can be special. We do have the Washington factor, (laughs) right? That's that's the concern there. But I do like Jahan Dotson very much, my friend. All right, we're going to take a short break. YouTube audience, stay with us. You're not going to feel this break, but the podcast audience will be back in just a second. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back and we're talking with John Lab, the Grid Island Scholar. All of his links are in the video description below. John, where, do you, where are you doing most of your fantasy work right now? Is it for football diehards? Yeah, football diehards is my NFL stuff. And I don't know, you probably know, I do all my college fantasy stuff on Fantrax. So those are the two sites I'm working on. And my video stuff is on the Rookie Big Board channel with my yeah, teammate you- Matt Hicks. I just um, adopted the orphan team in the Sirius XM league on fan tracks and I hadn't been on fan tracks in maybe like four years. Wow. Has it come a long way as far as software? I, I swore off fan tracks and I was to my own detriment. They updated it. The, the mobile looks good. So whereas I, you know, I, I'm definitely, I, I love playing on sleeper and all the other platforms and stuff, but fan tracks, man, they have come a long way. So um, kudos to them. I'm glad that we're, we're doing that league together. All right. We're talking about some rookie busts today. And I also want to leave some time because People that are have stayed with this podcast all off season long, we've we've uh, haven't really gotten to the Debbie stuff, so I want to sprinkle that in as well, uh, because everyone talks about the 2023. Try getting a 2023 uh, uh, rookie pick. It's basically Bitcoin. It's not even gold, right? <laughs> <laughs> you so, can't get it. All right, right. You can't get it, and and, and if you, you do get it. get it, you better get like a top thirty pick in return or something like that. So, just um, ten thousand foot view. Is the 2023 class, the this Debbie, you know, for Debbie players and for next year's Dynasty players, is it overhyped? Is it hyped just right? Or is it underhyped? I will say this. It is overhyped. <laughs> the top players are special. What I think people are looking at, you have B. John Robinson, Jameer the running Gibbs. the running back, right? Let's see, for those of you just mm-hmm. they're special players, barring any injury. They are special running backs. Right now, I have them graded better than Brees Hall. And Brees Hall was my number one running back in this class. So right now I have two running backs graded ahead of Brees Hall. 
Then they look at the top of the wide receiver board. Wait, wait. Could Jackson. I just ask you real quick? I just no, want to ask you a quick. So you have Bijan Robinson, and is it Jamar Gibbs or is it Henderson? Who do you have as your I have Jamar other... Gibbs? Okay. All right. So he but there, there's two running. Oh, because Trevion Henderson can't come out next year. Mm. Trevion Henderson is class of 2024 because he was a true freshman. Now, Debbie, I actually have Robinson. Or Trevian Henderson two overall because Debbie is about putting all of the players together right? right in the class of 2023. I think we're going to see two first round picks. I do think these first round running backs, picks. two first round running yes. backs. Ooh. I do. Yes, mine because I think the NFL is going to love Bijan Robinson. Dude, they are going to look his model. When you plug in what he's already done, 215 pounds, 41 career receptions, six and a half yards per carry, five-star high school recruit. My Debbie model loves Bijan Robinson. My anecdotal watching the film, taking notes. Like I do my real breakdown on the class of 2023, probably starting next October. When I really take close notes, I'll record games. I'll break it down Thanksgiving and winter break. But my film study loves him, but my model thinks he's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. My model, 21 career touchdowns. He's everything you want. I'm a size bias. Give me the 215-pound running back any day. You're a sizist. Sizist. That's the word I'm looking at. I am. I mean, no. You know what's what's funny? Like, you talk about 215 pounds, and yes, I agree. That is a good size for a running back. But when when early on in Alvin Kamara's career, everyone thought, oh, he's just a pass-catching running back. But he is, you know, at 5 foot 10 or 11 and 215 pounds. So you're saying Bijan – it has, I mean, and he's the three down back. Okay. So what I, you saying first round running back to me blows my mind in today's NFL, because that is almost like mocked at this point. When I say my, I mean like people make fun of the teams that take a first round running back. I mean, look who did it in recent times. It's, you know, urban Meyer, obviously probably you oh, know, well, biggest but- coaching <laughs> joke of all time. And the Steelers yeah. who, you know, people give a mulligan because, you know, Najee was the Steelers identity and, you know, no one thinks that was a real pick, but you think that Robinson and Jamar Gibbs of the 2023 class are actually good first round picks for a team that might be a running back away. Hint, hint. Tennessee Titans. If Tennessee is let, you know, it's debatable if they'll make the playoffs. I think Tennessee is an underrated team again. I'm a Brable believer. So I think Tennessee is going to win football games again. They're going to be good. I don't think they're going to bottom out. Well, you're, let's say you pick 21, Allen. And Derrick Henry, we know the trajectory is heading down. I don't think Hassan Haskins is the clear-cut bell cow answer to the Titans. I think he's, he's late. He's late career Carlos Hyde. I mean, that's who he is. Yeah, you know, he's just yeah. Yes. Well, what if Bijan's sitting there for Mike Vrabel? And here's the thing. I, and I love Twitter. You know, Alan, I'm on it all the time. So I have to think like a football guy. And if I'm a football guy. And I'm trying to win football games. 
I know that the running back matters. I'm sorry. It just does. And we all have a dwarf perspective from Bill Belichick winning with this myriad of running backs. But what people are forgetting, in my opinion, he won because he had Tom Brady and he's Bill Belichick. Not every coach in the NFL is Bill Belichick and they don't have Tom Brady. So how do I win? I need a running back. That's how a coach thinks. Why did the Jets trade up for Brees Hall? They looked at the end of day one. Robert Sala says, I've got to win games. The only way I can protect my defense is if I can run the football. Michael Carter can't run the football 20 times a game. Bijan Robinson is going to be attractive to a playoff team that needs a running back late in the first round. And I like Jameer Gibbs. The thing is, Alan, they're both three down backs. My only caveat about Gibbs, he's listed at 210. Is he actual 210? That's you think he could be like 204 to something like that? It, it's possible. Yes. Okay. We right. always have to worry a little bit about. Now, I do, looking at Bijan, he passes the smell picture test of 215. He might even come in at 220 if he gets on the white, the white, the right weight regimen, right? Yeah. But what is Gibbs' way? That's my only concern. Both three down backs. You know what I heard today, which I can't believe this is the first time a national media guy has has confirmed my bias, right? I we all our own confirmation bias. <laughs> Dar- Daniel Jeremiah said Jameer Gibbs is the Heisman dark horse candidate. And Daniel Jeremiah says Jameer Gibbs is one of the best running backs in the college football. Remember, Daniel Jeremiah was the first one on on um Alvin Kamara. If you I mean now I could be wrong, but he was the first guy who I saw in the national media that I remember. So I could be wrong. But he's the first guy who started shouting at the top of the rooftops that Alvin Kamara is a star in the making. Remember, he transferred from Alabama, and he was in a timeshare at Tennessee. He now said that he loves Jameer Gibbs. So uh, he loves Gibbs or he loves Dijon? No, he loves Gibbs. Oh wow. Okay. All right. So that's and, fair. That's a and I love Gibbs too. I'm a I've been on Gibbs for two years now. Right. But I he's the first one at the, you know, not, I, you know, he's the guy. When he's saying it, he's talking to people. He, he said he went to practice. He watched him at Georgia Tech. Look it, Gibbs is going to sail up boards if he produces in the Alabama system. So we already know that a million things are going to change. At this time, a couple of years ago, nobody even knew who Joe Burrow was in the mainstream, except, you know, the yes. Debbie people. So a lot is going to change. So do you think that either one of these two running backs, Bijan, let's just talk about Bijan, can, is, does have a case for the 1.1 in rookie, super flex rookie drafts? Or is the power of super flex when you have two good quarterbacks like CJ Stroud um, and you, ha- uh, and you have uh, Bryce Young at the top of the board? Or are those guys, we, I don't want to overthink it, are those two guys? the easy one and two given if they have the expected draft pedigree and they're going to be starters right now i would say cj stroud and bryce young are the one two in super flex wow they're two valuable as super flex assets they are superior 
to anyone who came out in this year's draft class, absolutely love Bryce Young. Oh, Greg Cosell is Jameer Gibbs is his number one, too. Look, at that's two people now who I, you know, going to start opening up eyes. And I, I, I mean, my good friend Felix Sharp, um, if you know him from campus to can, him and I have been talking about Jameer Gibbs for three years now. So now the national media is starting to jump on the bandwagon. He's going to skyrocket. But those two quarterbacks, I'm in love with both of them. They're okay. unbelievable uh, and super flex. Uh, light, lightning round here, because I want to make sure that yeah. I get you out of here on time. But who uh, – so staying with the Debbie thing, I mean, wide receiver-wise, is is it a clear-cut tier one? Or, I mean, who who's going to be our your one, two, and three, your top three wide receivers for next year that probably or, you know, almost it would be a favorite for them to go in the first round? I think there's three – not even a chance they leave the first round, and two of them will probably be top 15. Jackson Smith and Jigbu, Ohio State. <clears throat> Not even a question in my mind. Kayshawn Booty, I am still in on him. He's out of, LS, out of LSU, right? The wide receiver out of out LSU. Out of LSU. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I've been talking and championing him because look at Brian Kelly's offense, Alan. He uses his alpha male receiver from Will Fuller to Miles Boykin. Um, who? Oh, my God, now I'm forgetting all the names. Equinamius St. Brown. When Brian Kelly has that guy, and he's made good players, great college players, he now has a talent like Kayshawn Booty at LSU. As long as Booty stays on the field, and there's some concerns there, I get it. He's going to be spectacular, and we know it. Georgia pedigree at running back, LSU pedigree at wide receiver, top 15 if he stays on the field. I'm a big Jordan Addison guy. Are we going to he's see not, a – oh, sorry, go ahead. What? I oh, interrupted yeah, USC. Mm-hmm. He's unbelievable, Allen. A little small at 175, but that's not small anymore, and we saw what Devonta Smith did. I love Jordan Addison as a first-round pick. Are we going to get a first-round tight end in 2023? The guy out of Notre Dame, Mayer, maybe one of the uh, – is there is there a chance we see another like TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant type of year where we at least get one guy that in tight end premium leagues we need to consider in the first round of our rookie drafts? Michael Myers going first round. The NFL is going to be obsessed with this young man. Who does he most most correlate with um, in the NFL now? I mean, I know it's early for comps, but. So he's a better blocker than like Kelsey and Ertz. So that's a good, see, he's such a good blocker at the line of scrimmage. Let me, so who's a good, so he has the pass catching chops. You can Frank and comp him if you want. You can say a little this, little that. Yeah, I so he's probably in the realm of um, Zach Ertz as a pass catcher. Which That's is pretty damn good. Lot. But he would probably uh, remember Ben Watson. Of course. Remember, he's a Ben Watson blocker. He is clear. Or, or, oh, who was the tight end who kept getting hurt for the Cincinnati Bengals, who was so good that one year, mm. but injuries derailed his career? He was a second round pick from Notre Dame. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, that? Tyler Eifert? That's it. He's Tyler Eifert, I think, with a better wide receiver pass catching skill set. Michael Myers, the real deal. 
he's going to be a first-round pick. I would say this, possibly Kansas City, late in the first round. They're going to be good again. Andy Reid's always good. You know, we all love Travis Kelsey, but he's 33, right? The years are catching up on him. Michael Meyer might be the perfect Chiefs tight end, my friend. Yeah, talk about a team that might be a running back away. The Chiefs are going to have to oh. struggle with that dilemma too. So, and and some of the greats, like you know, the and I would put Travis Kelsey on the Mount Rushmore of tight ends. I mean, so those guys tend to age oh, yeah. a little better. So, you know, we we all say Travis Kelsey thirty three, but we could be look, talking about Travis Kelsey going into his age thirty seven season. It wouldn't surprise me, like Antonio Gates or Tony Gonzalez. Um, couple of lightning round questions because I have you here. I hope you don't mind me holding you a little past no. the hour. Uh, biggest mistake people make in Dynasty? Overvaluing a player based on scheme or undervaluing. I should say, sorry, undervaluing. Oh, this great player went to a bad scheme. Great play, like AJ Brown at the time going to Tennessee. Oh, that's pretty- that's the ultimate mistake. I had him at like two, moving down to eight. That was the, my biggest. Like I'm embarrassed about that one. Embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, so it wasn't just you, right? Right. A lot of people make that, and the opposite is true. An average player going to a great scheme. I did that with Kenneth Davis out of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest mistakes. I love Kenneth Davis coming out of Louisiana Tech. Just, I, who knows if it's the person, if it's jumping up to the NFL level from playing in Conference USA. He just did not have what it takes to succeed. I was like, it's Baltimore. Harbaugh is going to run the ball. He was an average back. It doesn't matter. An average back in a great scheme isn't going to do much. Who's the rookie going in the top 12 ADP that you think is most likely to bust, not just for this year, career? You're just, you're, and you've been in four rookie drafts. You're not taking them. Oh, so I have, you know, I don't have any shears of Jahan Dotson, which is, but you like him, I, but you like him. I do like him. He How just about this? never. Is, is, is Christian He's Watson never, a fair, high bust potential guy? Like, I mean, oh, obviously, I have also- zero Christian Watson. Okay, that, that's a good one too. I don't. So I have zero Christian Watson, zero Jahan. But I'm not against Watson because I do love him. But Washington is a problem, right? I mean, and the value is not there for me. So I not. But Christian Watson's a better one, isn't he? Just now injured too, isn't he? Yeah. Going to miss some training camp time. Yeah. Death sentence. Uh, now, you know, it's funny. I think I've gotten Romeo Dubs now in, in a couple. I think I have him in two drafts now. Um, so maybe Dubs is the better player there. Who knows? At least he's on the field. That matters a ton for rookies. Don't I got a lot of Alan Lazard, but I got Alan Lazard in Dynasty Leagues too. Actually, I got Alan Lazard in that league you and I are, and I'm so happy yeah. about that. Yeah, no, that's a good um, one. <laughs> so, so um, – I saw a note out on Dubs today saying how he's NFL ready. So yeah, he might end up being the sharper pick in draft. So now that we've already put him to the side in the third round of your rookie draft or later, who, who's the the player that you think is going to be, uh, you know, like you, I easily identified uh, Jalen hurts as a good player. Um, sometimes it's just so obvious. Nobody wanted Davis mills. That was a good pick. So who's the guy in the second or third round ADP of these rookie drafts. I'm going to go a little bit to the positive here that you think 
definitely has a, well, has a better chance than not to be successful. Last year, it was Elijah Mitchell. This year, it is most likely fill in the blank. Wendell Robinson, if he's a third-round draft pick. You can't. He's a first-round pedigree for the Giants. I understand it. Not a huge Robinson fan. But, no, second round, right? Then they draft in the second round. Yeah, I'm sorry about round. that. Second-round draft capital. I'm not convinced Kenny Gallagher. Kenny Galladay is the answer at all right now. I would have said Jalen Tolbert, but I think he's moving up a little bit. Yeah, you can't and, get him anymore unless you want to spend yeah. an early second-round pick. So, And then the other guy, I drafted him in our draft, Alan. I like Khalil Shakur. Yeah. The Boise State wide receiver, I think there might be opportunity there. You know, the Bills can support two or three wide receivers, and what if there's an injury? That's he it. might be an injury away in two years from being a starter in Buffalo attached to Josh Allen. I had Shakir as my 13th ranked pre-draft wide receiver. Love the film at Boise State. I think he's very nice player in the third round of draft. John's quickly become one of my favorite files on Twitter. I recommend everybody listening to this podcast do that as well. John, tell them where to find you on Twitter. It's on the video screen right now, but for those listening on the podcast, tell them where to find you. Thanks, Alan, for having me on. Please follow me at Gridiron. Whoops, sorry, wrong hand. Gridiron Skull 91 on Twitter. I couldn't afford the A and the R when I went signed up about eight years ago. So Gridiron Skull 91. I'm always posting links to all of my work, Rookie Big Board, College Fantasy Football, and every year it will be my 10th year this year with my Rookie Dynasty rankings, my Rookie profiles on footballdiards.com. But I love to interact with people and answer all questions. Yeah, just so everybody knows that, um, you know, when I'm making my rankings over, you know, my John's one of the guys I check in with uh, his rankings just to make sure that I am I have a sober ranking. And again, I, I don't, uh, you know, every, that's what, you should be doing is making your board and then seeing what the industry is doing just to see where you are versus them. But John's always one of my go-to uh, rankers as well. I, I like seeing because of the depth of how you really break this down. And uh, you know, I've been, uh, I've wanted to have you on this pod uh, since I saw you work with Nelson on the dynasty depot pod. I think you're great, man. I think you're uh, you, you, you the right amount of energy, passion, and frankly, I think is some of the best rookie analysis in the whole industry. So we were happy to have you here. Thank you for coming on. Hopefully, once things calm down, the grind stops, we can have you back <laughs> before your grind starts for the rookie season again. And everybody, we'll be back again next week with another Dynasty podcast uh, for the rest of the summer. And then this podcast will turn into a DFS podcast with some of our other guys at Rotowire. But we'll keep it going strong until September. Good luck in your Dynasty leagues. We'll see you next Friday. Don't, 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 don't